<laughs> so, um, this is the last one in the series on unbelief and faith. Yeah, we've been doing a series. I know. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so, the ones that we didn't manage to record to technical hitches are recorded in the loft this week. So, come on. It wasn't very responsive crowds, but, you know, content was all right. Um, so, I guess Seb will take them back off the laptop today and put them on the next couple of days. So, they'll be up on the, on the internet in the next couple of days. So, if you miss one of those... Um, sounds a bit weird, but they're well worth listening to. <laughs> Sorry, they are. Um, this is the Bible. Okay, um, so we'll have a couple of one-offs between now and the carol service, and then we'll start in with a, a brand new series in the new year. So that's where we're going. Um, and don't ask me what the series is going to be, because it, 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 I've got a couple of ideas, but that's about as far as we are at the moment. So, But I don't know about you. Well, I, I know for some of you this has been a massive blessing, this series. And um, I think for us as a church, it has been. And you know, every every event we've done, so we had Dave Stroud in as a guest speaker a couple of weeks ago. The ladies had Angela Kem come and speak to them. And really, everyone that's come has come and brought a message on faith. We haven't primed them to do it. We haven't said, "Please, we're going through this series. Please come and speak on faith." But every one of them has. And really, that's just confirmed to us that we we are onto something here, in the sense that this is something that God is particularly emphasising for us at the moment. And so it's so important that we really engage with it and um, I, would, I would encourage you to meditate on those scriptures during the week because it's, it's a way of just absorbing yourself in the truth, which is um, the Bible says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we all want to walk in freedom, don't we? So it's so, so important that we take this seriously. But thank God for the gift of faith. Um, faith is a gift, really, and the channel through which you receive uh, God's blessings in the kingdom of God. It, the Bible says, if you come to God double-minded, if you come to God thinking, well, will he or won't he you won't receive the blessings he wants to give you. In fact, James says, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So if you're constantly coming, questioning God's goodness, questioning God's generosity, constantly giving way to doubts, constantly saying, oh, what's the point in praying? Nothing ever happens anyway. Well, yeah, you're right, nothing will. And it might sound harsh, and I don't mean that in a, in a kind of a, just a, a, a wicked and a cruel way at all, but I mean it in a sense of saying, come on, guys, let's not give in to being double-minded. Let's be sure of who we know our God is, and let's live, live in it and stand on it and operate from that point and not give way to double-mindedness. It doesn't bless at all. It just robs us of what God wants. So it's ever so important that we get into this. Um, and again, not, not so that you get into this thing of, oh, have I got enough faith when you're praying for stuff? I, that's, a, that, that's a dead end as well. Because the disciples said, give us more faith. And Jesus said, oh, faith, the amount of a mustard seed will move a mountain. So it's not, have I got enough faith? It's simply being confident that God is good and he'll do what he said. Let's not get weird about it, okay? Because I think it can, and it can get people, you can get really introspective, and you get like your faithometer out, do you know what I mean? You think, well, oh, no, it's not quite, you know, it's not going to happen, it's not like that. It's just being confident, God is who he said he is, and he was faithful to his word, and he'll, he'll do what he said he's done. Um, so really, that's how faith works, so it's a very, very simple thing. But um, we've got four more symptoms of unbelief to finish with today, then we would have looked at all 15 from the story um, of the 12 spies. Now, I know for those of you that have been here from the start, you're thinking, I know this story inside out. But now, don't go over it again. I am going to go over it again for the benefit of those who haven't been here, but also to refresh our minds. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just give you a bit of a recap and then read a, a section. So really what happened is, is that um, God in his mercy rescued the Israelites from Egypt. They'd been in slavery there for about 400 years. And um, God raised up Moses to lead them out. And there was the miraculous exodus through the Red Sea. 
parted miraculously and then the Egyptians tried to pass through and were swallowed up, God's judgment. And then really what was supposed to be a six-week journey from that point to Canaan, which is modern-day uh, Palestine and Israel, what was it's supposed to be a six-week journey really through the wilderness turned into a 40-year nightmare. Um, due to really their unbelief, their hardness of heart, they wouldn't believe God. They kept complaining. Whenever they hit a difficulty, they got um, introspective, melancholic, and started saying, oh, God's not with us. It would have been better off to go back. And in the end, really, we come to a story where they are within spitting distance of the promised land. And so Moses says, look, why don't we send um, a head from each tribe, 12 tribes in Israel, Send them in and really just have a look at the land. What's the cities like? What's the fruit like? What are the people like? You're not supposed to come back and say, we can or can't do it. God said, I've given it to you. All right? That's not your job. Your job is to just come back with an assessment so that as we go in, we know what we're up against, we know what we're facing. Now, what seems, we, all we know is, is that they go into the land for 40 days and come back with some fruit. We don't act, it's not a big narrative as to what happened, but what we do know happened is this. For 10 of those 12 spies, some fear and unbelief got into their spirit, got under their skin. The size of the people that lived in the land, the size of the fortified cities, fear got in. And when fear gets in, you're scuppered. When fear gets into your spirit, it affects everything. And you begin to find that, yeah, you won't don't quite go for it in the same way or whatever. So they come back and they say, right, what, and Moses and the leaders gather the congregation, tell us about the land. They say, well, look, yeah, it does flow with milk and honey. This is the fruit. It's all good. And then they start giving this, they start saying, but you know who lives there? And you know they're the descendants of the giants? And you know they've got these fortified cities? And blah, 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 blah. And then the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who maintain their confidence in God, they, they see what's happening. They see that there's, there's a fear thing coming in. And they just stop them and they say, hold on. And they say, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Yeah, they know. God said it's ours. All right? And then, really, when they say that, the true colours of these ten spies come out. They say, no, we're not. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. And they begin prophesying, really, falsely, you know, but saying, what's going to happen? We're going to get eaten. We're going to get devoured. It's a bad thing. And really what happens is then the whole congregation wail and weep and everyone basically just catches this terrible disease in an instant. And they'll say, oh, it's terrible. And then they start saying, let's appoint another leader to take us back to Egypt. All this crazy stuff. And then Moses and Aaron fall down and pray and Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes and, 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 and mourn and grieve. And it's just a, a, a crazy, wild scenario of emotion going on. And then at that point, the, the congregation say, let's just stone those four guys. Let's just pick up stones and kill them. Because they, they won't stop believing God, and it's getting to us now. And, uh, and, and at that point, the glory of the Lord appears, and so, oh, you know, and then, and then God, says, God says to Moses, right, listen, this generation, I'm not going to inherit the land now. It's going to be for the next generation. They're going to basically wander around till this generation dies, except Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two guys from this generation that are going to see the land. Moses brings back the report, that's what God has said, and then they say, oh no, okay, uh, let's go and attack. Moses says, it's too late. They say, no, 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 we're going to attack. So they strap their arm on and Moses is thinking, what are you doing? And then they charge in and Moses is like, no, God's not with you. And they get totally slaughtered and then come back. And it's just a total disaster. But you can trace it all back to unbelief. And um, obviously we, we've come here and there's parallels in the sense that we believe God's called us here to plant a church here, to see God's kingdom extend into people's lives in this area. It's a promised land for us. Met someone here the other day who came to visit me. I met him at the tube station. I said to him, "Welcome to the promised land." Because it's getting into my spirit now, more and more. Yeah, I know this is where God's got us. I'm going to see wonderful things happen. I'm confident of it, totally confident, and that's what we're going for. Um, but there's there's challenges around, and there's all kinds of pressures and all kinds of things going on. And you can just get so immersed in that that actually you lose God. 
in any real sense. You don't have to read your Bible and pray a bit, but you've lost a sense of being actually overwhelmed with God. And we really want to make sure that doesn't happen and keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Alright, so, um, uh, unbelief symptom number 12. Unbelief is the perfect environment for self-pity to grow. Numbers, chapter 14, verse 2. If you've got a Bible and uh, you want to turn to it, feel free. It's the fourth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Numbers 14, verse 2. Listen to them. And all the people of Israel grumbled, people that are in self-pity always grumble, against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness. If you're in faith, you don't fall into self-pity. Why? Because you're too aware of the inheritance, what God's got for you. Even if the current situation is tough and it's closing in, you still, you still can see what God's got. Now what hasn't happened is, what tends to happen is, is that when you're in unbelief, the circumstances close in. Who's ever seen um, Star Wars number one but turned out to be number four? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. Um, you remember the first one, those of us from my generation, 1977? Who was there? Yeah, most of you weren't even a twinkle in your mother's eye. But I was there. And uh, there's this situation where Luke Skywalker's in this kind of a slushy kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like a mixture between a landfill site and a room and a swashy swamp thing. And what happens is he gets, he gets thrown in and he dives in. I can't remember to escape the stormtroopers. But you suddenly notice that the walls start to close in. And not only that, there's this kind of weird kind of lizard that likes, likes eating, I don't know, rubbish and fish finger packets and whatever else. And he, he lives under there. And so he's trying to pull Luke Skywalker underneath as well. And so the walls start closing in. And it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a great moment in the film. But I think very often when you get an unbelief, what happens is, is that things start to close in and circumstances and, and, it's, and it comes. And what happens is, is in the end it just fills your gaze. And it really just blocks out what God has said he will do. Blocks out the promises. And you can't see beyond what you're faced with. And really, when that happens, you're in a, you, what can often happen is your head goes down and you start to feel sorry for yourself. You know, self-pity for a believer is sin. It's sinful. Because it's a symptom of a deeper problem that you're not actually impressed with the Lord. There's no fear of the Lord in you anymore. You're in awe of your circumstances. You're in awe of how things are always so bad. And you've got to watch that. You say, how do I deal with it? You repent. I think, that seems a bit harsh. <laughs> I'm not saying that with compassion, but I tell you, unless you take it in hand and repent of it, it would just grip on you. It would be like a, like a claw on you. It's a horrible place to be, self-pity. Um, if you're in self-pity, you're basically saying, God's forgotten about me, he doesn't really care about me. That's a slander on God's character. That's a real slander on God's character. <coughs> He's promised he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. I know that I've been preparing this, I felt God spoke to me, that some of you here, you have days of this and even weeks of it. It's a pattern. Um... You know, the gospel medicine can heal that. If you don't only meditate on the gospel, if you only fill your mind with the gospel and what the gospel promises, I'm not pretending this is an easy thing. I'm saying it's, it's an effective thing. Taking medicines, well, it's easy these days because it's often sort of orange and strawberry flavoured, but, you know, in the old days it was nasty. Taking medicine was always a terrible experience. But actually, you know what? It done you good. Now, I'm not saying meditating on scripture is a terrible experience, but what I am saying is that it's not always easy. Sometimes it's a lot easier to just kind of sit and just kind of let your mind go wherever rather than getting into the truth. So, it's a, gospel medicine can heal it. Now, I'm not saying that we get into the thing of denial. We deny we're going through difficulties or trials or traumas. Not at all. And I've said this a few times, but I'll say it again. We need to be a community that's totally honest and open about where we're at and not pretending and all. We don't want to get into that. That's nonsense, okay? So, that's not self-pity. Um, self-pity is when you kind of really begin to indulge it. 
and you really begin to make friends with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, you welcome, yeah, come on in, let's have some, let's have some time together. <laughs> yeah, some quality time, you know, think about how bad it is for me. That's self-pity, that's indulging it, and that's where we don't want to go. Um, come to the great physician, come to Jesus instead. <laughs> you know, God is committed to transforming your, you through the renewal of your mind. That's God's plan, Romans 12, verse 2. But what self-pity does is it locks you up. And it renders you immune to God's transforming touch. Because your mind gets, you you get transformed as your mind is renewed. And so you have to put yourself in a place where you're just getting into the truth. And when you're self-pity, you don't do that. Instead, you just want to kind of think about how bad it is or whatever. And it's like, it's like you're locking God out. You know, in Revelation, when Jesus says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. That's, that's not an evangelistic thing. That's not about unbelievers that are opening the door of their heart to let Jesus in. Jesus is talking to a church there. He's saying, I'm at the door knocking. Will you let me in? And as a Christian, you can keep him out. It's not that he's not able to get in, he can do what he likes, but actually his normal way is that he looks to work with us. And I'm, I'm self-pity can do that, you just end up locking Jesus out. And, uh, you know, don't do that. You know, listen, listen to what God's plan is. You say, well, what does God want to do with me? I'll tell you what he wants to do. In, in Isaiah 61, it's a beautiful passage. It's, a, it's like a prediction of really what the gospel would do in our lives. But listen to this. It's prophesying of what Jesus will do. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the poor or the afflicted. Simply to bind up the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted, listen, he wants to bind it up. It's a healing, a word for inner healing, heart healing, that's God's will. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty. From addictions, from these things, God wants to bring it. This is what the gospel does. It's not just theory, this is what the gospel does. Opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He smiles over you, loves you. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. If you're mourning, he wants to bring comfort to the gospel. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is wonderful. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. It's God's will that you're glad. Garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. I can't go on. No, God wants to give you a garment of praise instead where you're just strengthened in him. I love this. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. What a wonderful, beautiful phrase. Oaks of righteousness, where you're established in God, where your roots go down, and you're able to carry many people in your shade because of what you've let the Lord do in you. It's a beautiful thing that we're looking at here. And this is what the gospel does. I would say that self-pity is dangerous in that it's idolatrous, in the sense that, in the sense that you make a God out of your circumstances, and you just, you just let your whole life be dictated to by that. Turn away from that. Don't get into, you can start to enjoy it. You know, self-pity can be enjoyable can be enjoyable, yeah? What they call a pity party. Yeah? You have a pity party. You know what I'm talking about, some of you. Yeah, it's like, let's just think about everything bad that's happened over the last ten years. Meditate on that. Yeah? And then go and eat chocolate. It's like, look, God's got a greater plan for you than that. <laughs> God's got a greater plan for you than that. Not to be just enslaved by that stuff. Listen to Jesus. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, the comfort that self-pity offers is a false comfort. It doesn't last. True strength and comfort comes from Jesus. And I tell you, I think the Christian's biggest battle is to keep coming to Jesus. I think it's the biggest battle to just keep coming and keep drawing near to him. I think there's always 101 things that would keep us from that. Do you know what I mean? Always 101 things that keep us away. Let Jesus look after you. That takes humility. 
Let him look after you. Let him care for you. Don't be proud. It's a false guide. Don't let pride lead you. Oh, no, I won't come. I'll figure it out. Don't do that. You're not supposed to be self-sufficient. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Let's have a quick look at Jesus quickly. Always bring back to Jesus. Look at the night before his crucifixion, okay? Betrayed by his friend. Denied by his friend. Abandoned by all his friends. About to be forsaken by the Father. I don't hear Jesus in Gethsemane saying, it's not fair. I mean, it really wasn't fair. You know, you want to talk about hard situation? The Garden of Gethsemane wasn't fair. He just, only, he just poured himself into these 12 guys for three years. Just poured himself in. Constantly patient, teaching, loving them. And then when it really matters, they all run away. All one turncoat. It's not fair. And he gives, it, he gives himself for the life of the world. And then his way of doing that means as he's on the cross that the Father forsakes him. That's not fair. But you know what? Jesus, is. we are told, for the joy set before him, he hadn't let the, the, what was going to happen totally cloud his vision. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He's your model. He's your model. I'm not, this isn't self-help. You want to learn how to overcome self-pity and, and unbelief? Just get near to Jesus. Get near to Jesus. Be joined with him. He'll lead you into that. Because he's wonderful. Second symptom of unbelief. Unbelief fosters blame, rebellion and murder against God's appointed leadership. Faith follows spiritual leadership. Now at this point, I'm not preaching to try and vindicate myself. Just so you know that. Got an extra grind. That's not, he was in the story, so I thought it's worth bringing out. Um, you now Moses wasn't perfect, but God was with him. Okay? He wasn't perfect. He made his mistakes, and they're recorded in there. I love the Bible. It records the mistakes as well as successes. But God was most definitely with him. That was very obvious for anyone to see. But what happened was was this. Because the people were deceived and overwhelmed by their circumstances, they were overwhelmed by what's going to happen. Because of that, they begin to see things all wrong. And they begin to want to blame. Now, I don't know about you. I think one of the most fundamental human instincts is to blame. Soon as something goes wrong, do you know what I find myself thinking? And it's, it happens like that. Right, let's imagine, let's imagine, right, I walk down the stairs, yeah, and I get to the bottom of the stairs, and I tread on a bit of Lego with a bare foot. They can be sharp, those babies, right? <laughs> so, bang, it goes down, right? First thought, why didn't Davina tidy up? First thought isn't, why didn't I tidy up? What is it? Blame. It makes me feel better, initially, if I can nail someone for it. <laughs> Is it just me? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I was out on a limb there emotionally. <laughs> yeah? It's not going as well as we thought. Blame someone. At least then I feel better about myself. It's a terrible thing. You see it in the Garden of Eden, don't you? You see it as soon as they sin. Adam, what are you doing? It was her. Next to Eve, it was a snake. No, I, I, and Adam's classic. Adam, it was, it was her who you gave me. It's like, let's try a double prong. <laughs> Bat it away in two directions. That should, that should leave me all right. It's classic. But when you get an unbelief, when you start getting worked up, when you start getting panicky about a situation, you tend to start blaming. Said, Moses, how could you have brought us into this? He didn't. It was God. That's the point. God took them to that point. 
Moses simply, God says, I'm going to give you a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When I go, you go. When I stay, you stay. Very clear instructions, all right? God led them. And I said, Moses, how could you? No. God has brought them to a precarious situation. God does that. God will take you to precarious situations. Settle on it now. God's plan for you is not the safe life, the easy life. It's the, it, well, it's the safe life in the truest sense because there's nowhere safer eternally than being with him. But it's not always safe temporarily. Let's be honest. John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist in the will of God? How did he end up? Head on a plate. We've got to watch it when we start saying stuff like, well, God always protect you. Well, yes. But if your time's up, your time's up. Just reality. You need to be biblical about it and not sentimental. You see, so they're panicking, they start to blame, and, um, and really from that springs a murderous intent. Let's do away with him. Let's just stone him to death. They're panicking. People do crazy things when they're panicking. How many have left churches blaming the pastor for the problem? When it wasn't. It wasn't the pastor's problem. Sometimes it is. But not always. But how many, oh, no, no, it didn't work out, well, you know, I know, you know, I've heard of people, you know, things didn't work out for them as they intended. Blame someone, blame the pastor, why didn't you look after me better? The pastor's thinking, I tried, you wouldn't listen. Oh, I've got another church. It's not going to solve anything. Nothing's going to be solved. The issue wasn't the pastor, the issue was you're blaming because you're panicking, because you're just, you, you, you get, you're letting the fear and the things get, and the unbelief get into your spirit. No, instead, trust God. You know, you need friends who will speak honestly to you. Friends will say, you're saying this, and I'm sure you're really feeling this, and I really love you, but what's it coming out of? Are you still trusting God? Are you still trusting him? Or are you just trying to work out your own little thing? You need people that are going to be willing to speak that. If you've got no one around you that will speak like that to you, you need to get one or two. I have, I have people like that, and I constantly invite, I constantly invite their correction, constantly invite it, please. Because I need it. I really need it. Faith enables you to support anointed and flawed leaders. Um, because godly leaders are always anointed and flawed. Um, but a robust trust in God enables you to stand with them through the good and the bad and then come through to some great victories together. Um, now, I just want to say this is not a vowed correction. It really isn't. I feel very supported. Thank you for your love uh, and your patience. I want to just say that. You know, there's nothing underhand going on here. So, but I want to just bring that to the point. If I really mess it up in about six months' time, please bear with me. Okay. <laughs> Symptom number three, unbelief is despising God. This is very, very um, massive. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 11. Listen to what God says. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? Faith is pleasing God. Faith pleases God. You can't please God apart from faith. But unbelief actually despises him. Now, the main theme of this story is that they lose sight of God. We looked at it week after week, symptom after symptom, that actually have no sense of God being glorious. Unbelief is blind to God's glory. They were saved, they'd come through the Red Sea, and they'd experienced miracles. But at the end of the day, they were not impressed with him. My question to you is this. Are you impressed with God? Not do you sing to him, Sometimes that's a way of expressing that, but not primarily that. Or, you know, do you try and live a good life? It's good for Christians to live a good life, but I'm not primarily asking that. I'm asking, are you impressed with him? It's a very important thing. 
Because situations will come along that appear very impressive, either in terms of seduction, offering you something, or in terms of fear, threatening you something with something. And if you're not impressed with God, you will become impressed with what comes to seduce, and you'll end up buying into that, even though it's not what God has for you. Or if, if it's something which comes along to threaten you, you'll end up being under that and governed by that, because you're not impressed with God. How do you get impressed with God? You need to ask God to help you as you meditate on the scripture and, and, and get into the Bible about who he is and his character to, by his spirit to really put that into your spirit. And that will happen. That will happen. But you need to be in that place of just waiting on him and, and getting into his word. It's a very important thing. Very, very important. Some of you, I think, as I was preparing this thing, the Holy Spirit told me, some of you despise God by um, cheating financially. You're actually not impressed with him as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Ultimately, you're not impressed with him. And so you try and find your own way around financially. It could be anything from not giving. It's very important for a Christian to give. Very, very important. To give to the local church, to give to the needy. Not just out of guilt, even now and then when someone says it, but intentionally, first fruits, that's what you do. Before you do anything else. That's how it works, biblically. It's ever so important. So some of you are cheating him that way. Others you are fiddling your figures. And it may be subtle, but you know, you just, well, just don't mention that or whatever. You are despising him. You mustn't do that. He's your provider. And if you do that, you lock yourself up and, and you're not going to be in that flow of his provision. If you honour him with your finances, you will see God begin to work amazingly, miraculously for you financially as, you, as, your, needs, as your needs come up. And I'm not speaking from theory. Story after story, year after year. Some of you, someone gives you too much change, and not only do you keep it, you spiritualise it. Praise the Lord. God really blessed me there. No, he didn't. You just stole. He didn't. You just stole them from a shopkeeper. Take it back. If, you need, if you're getting convicted of something that you did six months ago in the shop, take it back now, tomorrow, as soon as you can, this afternoon. Say, so, six months ago I was in here, you gave me five pounds too much change, I shouldn't have kept it, I did, I'm sorry, please have it back. Do it. I've done it. Is it humiliating? Yes. Is it liberating? Yes. Because the way to liberty is often humility. Sorry, folks, but it works. It works. You're signing on and working... You're despising God. Don't do it. You might say, this is, this is easier said than done. I know. But <laughs> easy is beside the point. I did this the other week. Don't worry about easy. Easy is a kind of, easy promises too much doesn't deliver, right? Easy life, good life. That's good. Good life is great. Easy life, sometimes it's nice, it's going holiday and stuff, but easy life is just, you know, overrated. So, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, in whatever I do, I just want to please him. I just want to please him. That should be our intent. I just want to please God, not despise him. As a dad, there's nothing better than knowing my kids trust me. There's nothing more frustrating than when they don't, and I think, you've only been alive five minutes, how can you know better than me? And sometimes you do it, you, it's been, there's been moments in the road where I've said, go now. And they've wavered, right? And it's like, that could have really damaged you. Because at that point they're thinking, do I know best? 
Or they're, they're reading something and they think, well, but that seems like it's coming. Now, because I know my road signs and I know one-way systems, I know that it's not. So I know better, because I've been around longer. They're thinking, oh, I weigh it up. I think you don't weigh it up, because by the time you weighed it up, you could get hit from another direction. We're in London, we're not in the countryside. They come more than once every hour, you know. There's cars everywhere. We've got, so, you know, there, and there are certain crossings in London, you know, where there's no green mint. You just got to, you know, there's one on the way to school. It's a mad one. You just got to, you know, you just got to gauge it and go. You got to trust me at that point. And it's nothing more frustrating when you think, you're that big, and you don't know anything, and you think you know better than me. Listen, God knows best. He really does. He's been around a long time. <laughs> give him some credit. Yeah, give him some credit. He knows what's going on. Trust him. Trust him. You might say, well, what if that means ending up poor? Worth it. No question. Been there. What if it means end up in a tough situation? Worth it. What if I end up upsetting the boss and being on the dole queue? Worth it. It's worth it. We all must take our stand before the great white throne. And we won't be despising him then. Let's live in the light of eternity. Jesus was offered all the kingdoms. All the, Satan comes to him in the wilderness. Have all the kingdoms you like in the whole world. Just bow down to me. Just one cough, Just one bow. And they're all yours. What a shortcut. Oh, just, you can have the lot and you get to bypass the cross. What a temptation. What a temptation. And, and you know, Satan has this authority to give him this. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a real temptation. He said, you can have the lot. Just bow down once. Come on. What does Jesus do? Quotes scripture. Worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Shortcuts really work. Moral shortcuts never work. Ever. Jesus, you could have avoided the persecution, you could have avoided the pressure, the intimidation, the accusations, the torture, the betrayal, the denial, the humiliation, the execution. You could have avoided the wrath of God. What do you have to say about that, Jesus? Worth it. Worth it. It's always worth doing it God's way. Final symptom. Unbelief leads to judgment and disinheritance. Faith leads to favour and inheritance. We've got so much we want to inherit, guys, haven't we? So much that God has for us. But listen to what God says to Moses as a result of their unbelief. He says this, 14 verse 12. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And Moses, I'm going to make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. This land was theirs. It was being prepared for them. It was God's will for them to have it, but they didn't get it. It was kept for another generation. It wasn't God's timing. It was for them. But God says, right, because of your unbelief, we keep it for the next generation. I want to just say this. Healings, salvation, miracles and provision, and with it persecution, are for the church. <coughs> Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. In Christ, as we abide in him and he in us, fruitfulness, answered prayer, joy to the full, and abundant blessing are for the church. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Perseverance, boldness, power, sound mind, humility, zeal and faith are the inheritance of the church through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. There will be barriers to all these things. There are always barriers in the way. Fortified cities, great big giants, blah, blah, blah. You won't inherit it all at once, because it will take patience as well as faith. But let's go up at once. Let's get on with it. 
and start to occupy because we're well able to overcome it. It begins now and it continues till Jesus returns. But it begins now. Today is a day of salvation. Let's not waver in unbelief. Let's not give in to double-mindedness. Let's go forward individually in whatever situation you're facing. Go forward trusting him. Go forward confident. You have every right as a believer, if you're following the will of God, to be confident. Even if there is nothing externally to say that it's all going to work out. Just be confident. Hold on to it. Do not give it away. And as a church, let's go forward confidently. In the new year, February the 1st, we start our evening service. It's an exciting, thrilling step of faith. I want to make some things really clear about this. I want us to be believing God for a massive blessing to remain on the morning service and to increase. Okay? Massive. While establishing another gospel hotspot in the area so that those people who don't know the Lord yet and are never up in the morning on a Sunday can come along and hear the gospel and experience the love of Christ among the church. They need to, Jesus said, the way you love one another, the world will see that and they'll know that you're the real thing. So we need to just gather people to us so we can love them with the love of Jesus and tell them about how wonderful Jesus is. It's a step of faith, but it's what we're about, yeah? To be honest, one of the most thrilling things about this to me is that it keeps us on the stretch and stops us settling. I don't want to settle. It's boring. Huh? It's boring. We've got ground to take. We've got victories to win, haven't we? Yeah, we fight through, we pray through, and we just maintain our confidence and we take the ground that God has got for us. There's nothing good to be said for settling. There's a lot of good to be said for being secure. All right? So you lot are secure. The fundamentals are in place. I want you to know that. As we take this new step, no one's going to be negligent about anything else. We're going to look after you still. We're going to keep feeding you on the gospel truth, keep loving you. All that's in place. You've got nothing to feel insecure about. But while we're in that secure place of love, let's take no ground for Jesus. I'll finish with a quote from Numbers. The land which we pass through is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's been lovely preaching this to you. It wasn't the same in the loft. I want you to know that. It just, it really wasn't. I thought, oh, I like preaching it with you guys around. It's much better. And uh, just to be able to journey with you on this, it's been really, really fun. And um, I hope that God has really deposited some things in your spirit through it. And if you're here and you're not a believer, or you're not even sure whether you're a believer, or you wouldn't be sure what category to put yourself in, I want to just give an invitation for you. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, meaning the age that we live in at the moment is the age of salvation, where really there's, there's salvation for all, there's mercy for all, there's forgiveness for all, based on what Jesus did on the cross for you. So if that is you, if you've never actually given your life to the Lord, whether you've been brought up in church all your life, or whether you haven't, it's not about whether you've been in church or not, it's about whether you've come to know the Lord. And so if you don't know him, then I want to just say to you, listen, um, you can know him. It sounds a bit simple, sounds a bit easy. Well, it's the most revolutionary thing in the world because it changes your life forever. Absolutely. He becomes the boss. You know, you follow him. It's about him, not about you anymore. But it's very simple in that everything that needed to be done to secure it was done by Jesus. He's lived a life that's perfect and he'll just grant you the credit for that as a gift. He's died a horrendous death. Your death, so, he will take, so the judgment that your sin deserves was taken unto him, and he rose again so he can secure you eternal life. You see, so it's all there for you. So if you want to commit your life to Christ, I would suggest that we're going to take bread and wine in just a minute. Um, and really we do this, we, we, we break the bread just to remember Jesus' body being broken on the cross, and we, we drink the wine or 
Well, we use, we use soft drinks just in case any people in the church have um, alcohol problems. It just means they can get involved. You know, maybe there may be some people that are believers but are recovering alcoholics. It just means that you can get involved and it's not going to cause a stumbling block for you. So, but we drink that to remember his blood shed for us. And so, um, really, that, so it, you know, a good way of becoming a Christian is to just go up and take that and say, I want to be part of you, Jesus. And then just come and find either the friend who brought you or me or anyone at the end and we can just talk with you and pray with you about what it means to follow Jesus. So, it's okay. Okay, great. Well, look, with the band would like to come up. I know it's cold in here, guys. I know it's freezing. I'm freezing. And I've been moving around, so you lot must be even more freezing. But at the end of the day, you're all awake. <laughs> That's what matters. That's what matters.